Good morning, High Point. I'll flip this around. As you flip to the passage, um, we just want to remind you that we at High Point believe the Bible is the word of God written for his people. Um, so regardless of my mistakes, please follow along um, and know this is God's word for you. So, Starting from verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But he, Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of, God, of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is the word of the Lord written. Good morning, High Point Church. I'm making a long stroll over here. I had to sit next to my wife to second service here this morning. So I got to admit that, you know, it's, it's been a journey preparing for this message, and uh, Lloyd and Nick have helped me out a lot, but 
the hardest thing by far was getting this stinking podium over there and getting everything where it belonged in that first service. I was dropping stuff. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> Love the support. Thanks. <laughs> the hardest part's out of the way, right? Yeah. Okay, as, uh, as some of you read, we're going to look at Acts chapter 12 today, and you may wonder if you were here last week, why not 14, right? Nick spoke from Acts chapter 13, and a part of the reason is uh, Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13 are a continuation of the same story of what God is doing in Antioch, and here in Acts chapter 12, we actually see like an intermission of sorts, right? It comes back to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, we get to focus on James briefly, Peter, and Herod Agrippa, and we're going to look at them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, in a moment, talk about what I think the, the big idea is here. But before I do that, I want to say this. So the barbecue's next weekend, right? You should all be there. It's going to be great. But I want you to know this, that the reason the youth do it, one, it is to make money so we can do stuff for, for the youth throughout the year. That's a part of it. But the bigger reason is that we are able to give you, as a church family, a chance to have a giant meal together. The summer is busy, and it's long, and it's crazy, and there's, there's relationships that you have that you maybe haven't kept up with or kept strongly in tune with over the summer. So we want to give, to give the whole church a chance to have a giant meal together. So that's the main reason we do it, which means if for some reason, whatever it is, you are in a tight financial spot, don't not come. Be here, right? Just to say that money's tight. I've been there. Um, my wife and I, a few years back, her, her sister had to send us 10 bucks in the mail on a Christmas card so we had enough money to go visit her family for Christmas. Like, I've been there. I know that God gives us seasons like that sometimes. So if that's you, please still come and enjoy a potato full of baked barbecue goodness. It's going to be great, okay? That's how to say that when we start. Now, I'm going to pray because I know if anything of significance is going to be said, it's going to be God speaking through me. So let me pray and then we'll, then we'll get rolling. Father, I know that, that you work, that your word advances through the preaching of it. Um, and I am honored and I'm humbled that you will choose to use me to do that today. Um, Father, I ask that you would help me to speak your truth boldly and courageously, that you would, you would not let me speak from a place of insecurity or of fear or of pride or arrogance, but that you would let me speak what your word says directly. And Lord, I pray for all of us here sitting in on this, listening to your word preached, that you will give them clear minds and sound minds to be able to take in what you want to say to them, what we all need to hear. Um, and Father, I pray that the result of this is us leaving here this morning encouraged or inspired or exhorted, convicted in our faith um, to continue to follow you even strongly, even more strongly than we did when we walked in. So use this time, Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So in Acts chapter 12, I think what we see, the theme is that God is continuing to advance his word through his people and in spite of his enemies. And we will see that it is by choosing to join him in this work that we become part of something much bigger than ourselves. This is something Nick's talked about throughout the series of Acts, right? We become a part of something much bigger than ourselves, which is the thing that brings lasting significance to our lives. That's what we're going to discover today. That's what we're going to see. So a quick word as we start. You're going to hear me say this phrase a lot, the word of God advancing, or the word of God advanced. There's something along that lines. That phrase, 
I just want you to know that when I say that, what I mean is what I think the scriptures tell us, and that is that the word of God advances through us, right? It's living, it's breathing, it's active, and it does something in us. It, it changes us, right? The reason that I'm, that I'm different today than I was a year ago is because of what the word of God has, has shown me and what the Holy Spirit has done working with that, how, it, how it's changed, changed me to make me a little more like Jesus. So when the word of God advances, it's not like there's some like cosmic word stuff, right? It's, it's God doing it through the lives of people. And in one case here, in spite of somebody. And in contrast to his fighting against it. That's what I mean by that. Just want to be clear, okay? So, that's where we're going. Now, as we kick off, I think about how, even though it doesn't feel like it today, it's autumn, right? It's the, the beginning of the year, right? We know that last week there was this, this blast of colder weather. We know that next weekend, barbecue time, it's going to be in the 60s, perfect barbecue weather, right? It's going to be cool. We kind of have like the end of the summer thing here. And, and as we run into the autumn, what we find is that it tends to be a season that leads us into reflection, doesn't it? I mean, maybe it's the days getting shorter, the, the weather getting cooler, it's the return to routine and to schedules. Maybe that's a part of it. I think about how things like American staples like football, those poor Badgers yesterday, morning for them, I hope you are too. We think about things like that. We think about things like American, like American pie, <laughs> apple pie. We think about things like Thanksgiving, right? All those things happen here in, in the autumn, and it leads us to this reflective state. So I think that it is, is fitting that we get a chance to look at Acts chapter 12 today, and we're able to reflect on how we have sought to advance the word of God in us and through us through the lens of looking at Peter, James, and Agrippa. That's what we're going to do. So jumping right in, I want to look at James. I think that we see through this passage that God loved James, yet he chose to advance his word via his persecution, his suffering, ultimately his death. Again, God loved James, but he chose to advance his word through his suffering and through his pain. Now, James was one of the big three, right? If you, if you think about the posse that Jesus had following him around, the 12 disciples, there was that group of 12. The Bible even mentions a couple of times that there was this group of 72 that he would send out. So there was this bigger group he hung out with a little bit, the 12, and then we see that there was the three. Peter, James, and John, right? James was there with Peter and John when Jesus transfigured himself to them. That is, that he showed himself in full glory to them to the point where Peter was like, dude, like, kingdom's here. Like, I'm on my knees, fat on the ground. Like, let's build a temple for you right now, Jesus. Like, it was that powerful. James, James was there in that moment. What this says to us is that God loves James deeply. He is a leader in the church. He's a key leader in the church. We need to realize this because that then will help us to understand that as we, as we read the beginning of this chapter, it isn't something that's supposed just to be brushed over on our way to Peter. It is important. It is incredibly significant. And we're supposed to read it with this emotion of like a, like a punch to the gut. Kind of like this. I'm hoping somebody, not that one, hoping somebody can follow along, right? If you haven't seen this show, this was made back in 2008 when the, the writer's strike happened in Hollywood, and some actors and some directors, Josh Wheaton, the, the primary guy, decided just to get together, throw some money together, and make this thing, right? So they made Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. It's still on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. You should watch it. If you do, you'll find that it's cheesy and comical, and one of the main characters is this girl who's kind of like, oh, you know, at least kind of nice, and 
Then something happens in the third episode, if you haven't watched it yet, spoiler alert, in the third episode, like, this girl out of the blue just gets, like, killed by some, like, super-powered thing that the one guy does and goes wrong, right? Like, not expected at all, and you're like, really? Like, this is supposed to be cheesy, Joss Wheaton. What are you doing to me here, right? It's got, it's got this emotion. It's got this punch in the gut. It's got this, like, oh, feeling to it. Or maybe you understand this one, right? How I Met Your Mother. Who's seen that show? Anybody? There's a few of us. Yes. Cool. So if you watched it, then maybe you can feel my pain, right? Like, you get so engrossed in these characters over the years, and you start to fall in love with them, and then you hear the rumors as the show comes towards an end that the directors were going to do something with the end plot that you just know can't happen. And then it does. And you're like, what in the world? You just ruined the whole show. I just wasted all of this time. Ugh. Right? It hurts. This is like punching the gut, and it's not expected. It comes out of the blue, right? That's, that's how we are supposed to read the beginning of Acts chapter 12 with James here. Now, we need to know that so that we don't drive right past it on the way to Peter. Because if we sit here for a minute, then it reveals something significant to us. If we, if we think about it, God chose to advance his word. We know that, right? The, the very last sentence in this chapter is God's word advanced through all of these things. So it happened through what he did with James. And what that means is he chose to advance his word through James's persecution, through his suffering, through his death. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. That doesn't sit too nice with me, right? Because what it tells me is that God will at times advance his word through my pain, through pain that he puts me into for the purpose of benefiting his word, advancing his word. I don't want to hear that because I'm an American and I like comfortableness. That's not something I want to I see. It leads me to a question then too, right? Because if, if God advances his word through James's suffering and persecution, then it clearly means that if, if he wasn't shielded from that, if God didn't have him escape from that pain, then how much more so would that be true of me as God continues to advance his word through me? If James wasn't shielded, then there's no way that I will be perfectly shielded. I would be shielded from pain, right? Like, that's, that's something we struggle with as Americans, isn't it? Like American Christians, like, we, we want to think and it's, it's legitimate because of where we live with freedom. We want to think that coming to Jesus, that choosing to follow him means that because we, we, we honor him with our lives, that we are then how somehow uh, entitled to the ability to run away from pain, to escape it, that God would never put it on us for his purposes. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? You know... There's a story of a, of a couple that Beth and I have gotten to know, and I think this kind of embodies everything that we're talking about here. It embodies, I think, why God will, will choose to, to do this in some ways. This, this couple we got to know a few months ago, we had them over for dinner, and uh, the guy was telling me about how he got led to Madison, and um, part of the story involved him getting his dream job, in a sense, in a, uh, in a, in a place uh, near Chicago. It was, it was, he was a money guy, he was a math guy. He got a job in one of the most prestigious firms in, in the industry. And he, he started to tell Beth and me this story about how the moment that he started there, he realized that his godliness was in contrast to the values of this company. Right. His, his 
his godliness, his pursuit of having the word of God advance in him and through him, to see it change him and develop him, his, his desire to have biblical morals and values become his, his morals and values because he trusts that it's, it's right, that it's God's. That was in direct contrast to the company. The company would sap as much time out of you as, as they could. The company would, would choose to put him up in an office with another young woman so that they can become intimate in a more than business casual kind of way, right? It didn't matter home life. What they wanted was team unity at all costs. What they wanted was you to put in time there at all costs. And over time, as he told the story, he said he wasn't like, like, like fired or anything, but he just got squeezed out and forced out, and he knew eventually that it meant he, he had to leave. Now, I think about that story, and I ask myself, why, God? Why, why is it that you didn't have this guy and his godliness influence the leadership of this organization so that this being a primary company in the whole industry would be completely changed? Why is it that you didn't use him to change the whole industry? I mean, wouldn't that have been, like, cooler? I mean, wouldn't that have then brought more glory to you? Wouldn't that have then spread your word even more? Like, if the whole industry changes and it takes on these biblical, God-centered, gospel-centered values, like, how does him being forced out of that help anything? How does him being forced and squeezed out of that place advance your word? Maybe there's some of you sitting here today thinking, mm, been there, brother. I'm asking the same question. You know, in some ways we'll never know, at least the side of heaven. But I do know this. I do know that there's a perspective that I've seen my friend have. I do know that there's a perspective that I, I think I see in James and Peter, not specifically through this text, but I see it through what I know of them from the Gospels. And that's what we see with Paul as well in Philippians. In that book, chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says this, For me to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's speaking to the Philippian church, and what he's saying is he's, he's basically philosophizing over his life and death. It's like, oh, maybe I'll live, maybe I'll die. I don't know. We'll see, right? It's kind of comical in a way, but, but it's not because what we really see is him saying, hey, if I live, then I'm with you, church. I get to teach you, church. I get to exhort you, church. I get to, to do this with you. That's great. That's awesome because the word of God continues to advance. Amen. But if I die, well then... That's what it's all about, right? If I die, then I'm with him, and that's what I'm longing for. That's what, I, that's what I want. So no matter what, whether I live or die, it's gain because it advances the word of Christ in me. It doesn't matter. It's a perspective that's hard for us to think that what matters the most is the advancement of the word of God above all other things in our lives. That's hard, man. That's an all-in kind of thing. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says things like, count the cost and then follow me. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Die to yourself to follow me, right? That's what he's talking about. I wonder, I wonder if we can find a way to come to this place where we can say the, the following phrase. Just write it down if you want and then and kind of analyze it and, and study it and, and see if this can be true of you. If my suffering can encourage you to move forward in Christ, then praise be to God. If my suffering can encourage you to move forward in Christ, then praise be to God. I say that because I know that for at least one way, one reason that we see um, 
that God is advancing his word in this way is that James's suffering was used. I think the church was encouraged. We see that other times when Paul went through incredible suffering for the sake of the gospel, and it was used to encourage the church. I think about Stephen, right? Like Stephen, the first martyr of the church. We read, read about him just a little while ago, right? And how his death seemingly inspired the church to continue to do their thing. When they spread, when they were scattered to different places, they didn't stop. They didn't let the fear paralyze them. They continued to preach. They continued to live. They continued to let the word of God advance in them and through them. At least one of the reasons why God will choose to use us to put us in a place of James for the word of God to advance so other folks can, can benefit from that. To see me in my time of suffering, not throwing a fit, not, not being a brat and throwing a temper tantrum, but giving God glory in it because in the end, man, like, let's face it, like life's full of suffering and pain and if God chooses to give me some suffering for the bigger reason of advancing his word, well then there's at least something behind it, right? There's at least, at least a reason why. It's an honor for me, actually, compared to the suffering that just seems so pointless that so many people go through. At least there's a purpose behind it. And if he does this to me, then that, that clearly shows that he's going to give me the strength as well to get through it. So we can end there and just say, that's it, amen. But that would make I look like a cosmic bully, wouldn't it? Look like a dictator, right? That would not be good at all because as we move on, I think what we see with James flavors what we see with Peter. The reason that we see most of this here, this passage focused on Peter, is because it reveals to us that God does love us. That God is there, right? He saves Peter. He doesn't save James, but he saves Peter. It's a reminder that God is doing his thing, and he is, he is there. He's present with us. I think as we move on to him, we're going to see that God chose to spare Peter so that his word would continue to advance through the miraculous escape in its aftermath, but maybe not in the ways that we think. You know, this is not about Peter escaping suffering. It's not about him escaping pain. This isn't, we, we, we can't take from this that, you see, there's Peter, right? God doesn't want me to go through suffering. He won't put me in periods of suffering, of persecution for the advancement of the word because clearly he gets Peter out of it. If that's what we see in this passage, then we miss the point. That's not what it's about. How do I know? Because we know that Peter knows how he's going to die. In John chapter 21, verse 18 and 19, it says this, very truly, I t tell you, this is Jesus speaking. Um, he's speaking after, after he had rose back from the dead before he ascended into heaven. He spent some time with his disciples, and one of those times he says this here. He says, when you were younger, you were dressed yourself, and you went where you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, I've been skydiving before, right? I think it's the most terrifying thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Getting on the wing of that plane, thinking to myself, what am I doing 10,000 feet up in the air? It's scary. I think, I think I'm crazy because I'd like to go again someday. So, you know, actually my wife's here, so I can't go. Anyways, so if you talk to me secretly without her around, we can go, right? If you want to go with me. It's just got to happen before our baby comes in November. That's all I got to say, right? So talk to me. I'd love to go again, right? But with that, I know that I'm crazy because the first time around, I had no clue what to expect. 
Now I know how incredibly terrifying it's going to be. I know how my throat is going to be in my stomach and how my stomach's going to be in my mouth and how I'm going to be tempted to pee my pants. I'm that scared, right? Like I know how bad it's going to be. Yet I want to go again. Peter, I don't think he expected to get out of jail here. Right? In fact, we'll talk in a moment, like the angel doesn't like tap him on the shoulder or whisper into his ear. He like kicks him in the gut to get him up. I don't think he expected to get out because he knew how he was expected to die. And I think Peter fully thought, well, this is what Jesus told me was going to happen. This is my time. This is how I'm going to go. And God chose to do something else in that moment. But we need to know that he did that. He rescued Peter for a day, knowing that he's just going to relive it again. He's going to go through the same thing again. And the next time he goes through it, he's going to play the part of James. He's not going to be miraculously um, broken out of jail. He's going to die like James. So we can't read into this that God does this to have us escape from pain. That isn't the reason at all. I think... God does this. He allows us to see this. He allows um, it to happen. Peter even says, tell the church what happened, right? Because it happens right after James dies. That is heartbreaking. And now God does this. I think God gives us those miraculous escapes in life to, to have us remember who he is, to have him remember how much he loves us and how he is with us so that when we are, when we are in the place where we're playing the part of James, we can think back on those escapes. And instead of throwing a fit, saying, God, why are you doing this to me? I didn't sign up for this, God. Mm, we can buck up and remember that this suffering is not in vain. The suffering serves a purpose so far beyond me and bigger than me. And we can use that to advance the word of God. And it's those miraculous escapes that will help us to be in that place when he calls us to play the part of James. I think if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you've got some in your mind, right? I know one for me, right? Like, it's, it's not coincidence. I was 18. I just graduated high school, and I went to the, to the ocean with some buddies. Ocean City, Maryland. It was, it was like spring break for recently graduated high school kids. Not a smart thing for a young man who's trying to honor God to go to. But I was dumb, and I didn't know any better. So I went. And, you know, it's the beach, and there's young girls there. And by the second day, I have a couple of phone numbers and addresses in my pocket for hotel rooms. And I, I remember walking on the boardwalk, like, God, I'm sorry. I'm already making these compromises in my head about how I'm going to, to, to give myself up tonight, right? But it's just this one day. I'm, I just can't handle it anymore. God, it's just too much. It's too intense. And as I'm doing that, I'm not watching where I'm going, and I walk right into a youth group doing boardwalk evangelism. Like, literally bumped into this guy. <laughs> I spent the rest of my week with them. Now, that, that is a miraculous escape that God has given me, right? Amen, right? I think we all got some. We need to remember that God gives us those miraculous escapes not to keep within ourselves, not to say, ah, oh, God's all about saving me from harm. No, like, the Bible talks about how he wants us to, to protect us and loves us and shelter us at different times, but that isn't the point of this. The point of this is that he gives us those escapes to remember that he is there with us. He loves us. And when we play the part of James, it's not because he's a bully. It's because he loves us and wants to give us an opportunity to be a part of something so great, so huge. So we look at Peter and James, and we see how God advanced his word through both of those men in contrary ways. James' life being stuffed out with Peter through the miraculous jailbreak. 
And we see how both of these are good, right? God did this for both of them, and it was good in both cases. And now, we go look at Herod Agrippa, and we're going to see a completely different story. And I hope what we get from this is a little bit of a, a little bit of interpretation, a little bit of fear, that we want to not be like him at all. That's what I hope we see. So with Agrippa, I feel that God wants to advance his word in Agrippa, through Agrippa, in spite of his malice towards the church, and ultimately through the snuffing out of his life. Now, I want to give you guys a quick bio on who Agrippa is, because if we read him, we're like, oh, that's just a cool little name. Hmm, whatever. We don't know who he is, right? But it's like, if I, if I say 9-11, right, and if you're like high school age and older, you immediately know what I'm talking about, right? You need no other reference than that, 9-11. Agrippa was the same way in the early church. Those readers knew who he was, right? In, in the first century world, everyone knew who he was, because he was a rock star of sorts, you see, Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great. He was the guy who tried to kill baby Jesus and a bunch of other babies, right? He was his grandson. And when Herod the Great then tried to, like, kill his whole family, Agrippa was sent to Rome for his safety and protection, and he was raised by the emperor Tiberius, like his own son. And he grew up next to Caligula, who would become the emperor one day. Now, when Agrippa was growing up, he amassed a, a lot of debt, and he also did some pretty cool things for Emperor Tiberius, which shows us some of his political might. And eventually, he gets to the point when he's finished the mission for Tiberius, he goes back to Rome, and he makes a mistake. He's talking to his buddy Caligula, talking about how he wishes Tiberius will just croak. I wish that old man will just die already so that you, Caligula, could become emperor so that then you can give me a whole bunch of money and let me pay off my debts. Well, Tiberius didn't take too kindly to that. I mean, who would if you were an emperor of the, the known world, right? So he then has Herod Agrippa arrested, thrown in jail, with the intention to have him tried and executed. But before Agrippa croaks, Tiberius croaks. And then Caligula becomes the emperor, and then he releases Herod Agrippa with a section of the, the province of Judea. So he's released out of jail as a king already. Like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? So if that was him alone, then it's like, wow, that's some, that's some smooth work there, dude. But that isn't the end of his story, because we know through history that... Caligula was a madman. He was insane. He was nuts. Yet Agrippa was close to him. Some historians say they think that the only man that Caligula truly trusted was Agrippa. Now you could say maybe that's because he's crazy himself, or you could say he's just a great politician. He knows how to schmooze people, right? So he stayed close to Caligula, and when Caligula died, then we get to see his true mastery come out. Because when Caligula died, Herod Agrippa runs in there and he smooth talks the Roman senators, like tells them everything's going to be okay and that it's all right and that they're going to get what they want out of it because what they want is for Rome to become an aristocracy where they're in charge. And he like tells them everything they want to hear, makes them believe it, that he's on their side. And then in the end, what he's actually doing is talking to his buddy Claudius, saying, hey, guess what? You're going to be the new emperor. You got this, dude. You got this, buddy. Come on, get in there. And he helps to put Claudius up on the throne, and he gets what he wants. Now, as a result, Claudius then is like, dude, Agrippa, man, we're bros. Here you go. The whole kingdom of Judea, it's yours. He gets his granddaddy's kingdom back. He gets almost the entire territory that the Davidic, Solomonic kingdom had of Israel, right? This is a big chunk of land that he has, and it's semi-autonomous from Rome. Now, 
In addition to that, we also see that he's a dude who honors God to a point. The first thing he did when he got to Jerusalem was sacrifice to the letter how he was supposed to. There's even stories of him getting his gold chain that weighed the amount of the iron chain he wore when he was in prison. And when he got to Jerusalem, he put that in the outer temple courts and he gave this big speech about how God is a God of mercy and grace because God had him in prison and then he raised him up into a position of power. Praise be to God. It's interesting, right? But we know he only serves God, praises God to a point because we see his true colors come out with this whole thing going on in Caesarea here at the end of chapter 12. In Caesarea, we see that he's trying to honor the Emperor Claudius during this big festival. He's trying to make amends with these people in Syria, um, with, with uh, Tyre and Sidon, where, you know, there's some conflict there. He's trying to make amends with that. And, as a typical politician, he does all that well benefiting himself, making himself look better. And that's where we jump in here in Acts chapter 12, when this is happening. So here we see that he gives his great speech. The people say the voice of God, not of man. And it's in that moment when he doesn't give praise to God because he's out for his benefit only that he dies. Josephus says that he probably had a gallbladder burst or something like that and he was, he was done. He was in bed and five days later his life was gone. Now the key is Herod Agrippa would praise God. He would worship God when it benefited him, right? Like he did this when it made him look better. And the moment that it didn't, he stopped doing it and the true colors come out there. Through all of this, we see the word of God advance. The reason that he persecuted the church was because he wanted to play nice with the power makers in his kingdom. He was a good leader in the shallow sense of the word, but not a godly leader. He fought against God and his mission, yet we see God's word advancing in spite of his antagonism of the church. As we look at Agrippa, in some ways, I think we can see that we're more like him than we're not. We don't want to admit that, right? He was ugh, like a villain of the, the Bible, right? Like, we don't want to be like him. But if we think about it, one of his biggest flaws, the one that got him killed, was the fact that he only worshipped God when it benefited him. But the moment that, that humility was required for us, the moment that sacrifice or service, or humility, or suffering, or pain is required of us, we tend to want to back away too, right? Just like Agrippa did. We worship God when it benefits us, when it makes us feel better, when it makes us feel like we're good people when that happens, but do we really seek to follow him at all costs for the advancement of his, of his word through everything, anything, in spite of suffering that we have to deal with? I think that as Americans in a city that we're in, in a church that we're in, there's many of us, all of us in different ways, can think about how we seek to, we seek to build our own sense of power and prestige and status, our own identity apart from Jesus in different ways. Through, through school, through work, through, through home, all these different ways. We can think about how we do that. Challenge you is to think through how you do that and how that, that becomes just like Agrippa. How you take on the part of Agrippa when you do that. 
Last thing about him before we move on and close. I, I know one thing. It's I don't want Jesus to say to me when I die and meet him face to face, Derek, why did you work against me? Derek, why did you, out of a place of fear or insecurities or arrogance or pride, choose to work against me? Why did you try to run away when I gave you the honor of playing this part of suffering so that the word can go through you? Why did you not want that, Derek? That breaks my heart. That terrifies me. I don't want that to be said of me. Yet I know that that spirit is in me. I know that is in my heart. And I think it's true of all of us. So as we close, because I'm, I'm a youth guy, right? I want to give us an actual practical thing to do, to go home and actually do, right? And if I was here next week, I'd say we'd, we'd, we'd touch base and, and see how it went. So maybe, maybe Nick will do that, maybe not. But here's what I want you to do. As you go home, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to, to have a conversation with somebody that you trust, right? Somebody who knows you intimately, and ha- ask this question, what is the most noticeable way that I make it necessary for God to move forward in spite of me? In other words, what is the most noticeable way that I make God move forward in spite of me? What is the most noticeable way that I play the part of, of Herod Agrippa? Where do I seek my own prestige and power and status and make God work contrary to me? Right? And as they talk to you about that, we all, got, we all got them. Then ask them this, how can we work together to change this? Right? Because, again, that's how God's word moves. It's through us. Right? The church gathers in parts that through all of us, the word of God moves in us and through us. It advances in that way. So as you talk with somebody you trust and you say, how can we change this? Right? What can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I keep you accountable? How can I touch base with you? to see if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to move, he'll do it. The whole goal of this journey, this pilgrimage through life, is to continually become more and more Jesus-like, to more Christ-like. And that happens through the church. So let's let the word of God advance through us in this way. Then one more thing, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I, I assume that there are folks here who are questioning whether this is true or not, who are just trying to figure things out, right? Like there's more to life, and I don't know, I just got to figure it out. This is what I want you to do. I want you to find a Christian that you trust, somebody who brought you here, somebody who told you about High Point. And if you just wandered in by yourself and you don't know anybody, then talk with me or, or Nick or Lloyd, where he's upstairs, right? So talk with us, and we can be that person that you talk to. And then... As they tell you their story of following Jesus, focus in on how living for the advancement of his word is what brings deep satisfaction and significance to their lives. I'm sure you'll see it. And then consider whether joining God in his program and and what he's doing through the advancing of his word is worth your personal commitment. Consider if it's worth the cost. I think that it is, but that's for you to consider. Now, as we close... My hope is that we seek to more fully invest in the work that God is doing in this, in this autumn season. That as we reflect back on the prior seasons of our lives, that we are able to, to use today to help us to be more engaged with what God is doing, right? That we, we are more involved in the advancing of his word through all things because really it is only that that brings significance to us. It's the only thing that matters in the end. That's it. Let me pray. 
and we'll close. Father, I know that it's tough for me, and I assume that it's tough for all of us to be fully committed to advancing your word in every way, especially when we think about how you may bring us into places of suffering to do that. We don't want that, Lord. We don't like that. I repent of that in my life, Lord, and I ask that you will help us all to repent of that. Teach us, Lord, in this. Help us to grow in this area. Help us to become more and more a people who seeks to, to put your word above all other, else, all, all other things, everything else. For the help what Paul says in Philippians to be true of us. Help us to have a mindset and a heart that truly says to live is to Christ and to die is to gain. Help work that out in us, Lord, so that we can become people increasingly who give you glory and honor and everything. That you can use us to, to affect Madison, Wisconsin. Pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.